A word of warning. This podcast explores graphic and disturbing stories and includes some strong language. It therefore may not be suitable for our young listeners or other folks who may find it disturbing. Hello and welcome to True Crime Daily, the podcast covering high profile and under the radar cases from across the country every week. I'm your host, Anna Garcia, and our cases this week... Justice for a pregnant mother who was brutally attacked. She was killed by a woman who couldn't have children of her own, a woman who faked her pregnancy. That woman stood accused of ripping out an unborn baby from the womb of the woman she killed. This is a case that we've been following. It took a jury in Texas less than an hour to convict her. We have all the details from the trial, which was not televised. But first, a mother of six who turned to naval investigators to help protect her and her children from her abusive husband, was killed right after making her complaint. Authorities say that she was holding her infant child when her husband stormed in their home and shot and killed her. Her husband was a naval recruiter. She's dead. He's dead after a shootout with police. And there are six children who have just lost everything. We are recording this on Wednesday, October 5th of 2022. Our guest today is Josh Ritter. Y'all know him. He's a former prosecutor here um, in LA County. He is now a criminal defense attorney and he has his own podcast here on the channel called The Sidebar. Hey, Josh, how are you? I'm good. Thank you. I've been looking forward to this. Oh, always good to see you. Always good to see you. You know, we were just talking before we started recording. All our cases today are about mothers who were killed. Yeah, just tragic stuff. Really tragic. Really, really tragic. And I know we're going to get there. And the both cases are out of Texas. And I know we're going to get to the one about, you know, the the woman who faked her pregnancy and, and took the other woman's baby because you know, so much information came out during the trial that I want to answer all your questions if I can, because it's an extraordinary case. And everyone keeps saying, how did the boyfriend not know she was faking a pregnancy? How did people not know? Well, we're going to have some of those answers. They may not be satisfactory, but we're going to have them. (sighs) Okay. So let's get to our first case. This one is out of Harris County, Texas. And this is where a mother, she was holding her 12 month old baby boy and she was shot and killed by her husband, the baby's father, all this according to police. The mother, 34-year-old Takara Glenn Hightower, she was in the process of making a domestic violence complaint to agents from the Naval Criminal Investigative Service, or more commonly known as NCIS. Her husband, 37-year-old Greg Hightower, is the accused killer. Josh, what we see in this case is the escalation of violence, we see attempts to ask the authorities for help. Police were called to the house before. She had asked the sheriff's department how to get a restraining order, a protective order. So we see this all the time. And then he just completely loses control. I mean, to get into a gun battle, we're going to get into this, in his own home, with the agents who were helping her to file her complaint, then to get into another gun battle with police outside his mother's house. Yeah, this is this is so tragic because this is what over the last couple of decades, law enforcement has been working so hard to prevent against. Right. That we want to make it so that people who are victims of this type of abuse are able to come forward to feel safe about doing that, that their allegations are taken seriously, that law enforcement responds seriously to it. You know, we're going to learn out more about this case. I hope this isn't a failure of the system. I mean, it's it's awful that tragedies like this happen, but this is exactly why things are set up the way they are now. That so people can feel, listen, if you come and report something like this against someone that you're afraid of, we're going to protect you. And that did not happen here tragically. And keep in mind, she was shot and killed not only in her own home, but there were agents in her home who were armed at the time that he stormed in and he killed her. So if an armed federal agent cannot protect you in your own home, it makes it pretty clear, I don't know what restraining order, what piece of paper, what anything could have stopped this man. A lunatic. Yeah, Yeah. you know, I've had these conversations with uh, women in particular who are victims of domestic violence, and they're afraid to come to court and they're afraid to testify and they want to drop the case, not because 
they want to continue to live the life that they're living, but they don't have any confidence that they're going to be protected and be able to move on with their life after all of this. And you have these conversations with them where you say, we will protect you. We have resources available to you. And you say that praying that everything that you're saying to them is true and you don't want to mislead these people. And I imagine that's the same conversation these agents were having with her. And then, you know, sometimes tragedies can't be avoided. But you're right. What more could have been done than two armed agents are there at the time of the shooting? Mm. And one of them got injured. And no doubt, especially since they they did, they did, the Navy did take this complaint seriously. They must be feeling horrible because here you are, you're here to investigate, to protect life. And it happens literally in front of your eyes. It's, it's, it's a, a complete horrific failure. I don't know that anyone could have done anything to stop him. If two armed agents can't stop him, who can? Right. Right. I mean, and and like you said, you know, she was trying to get a protective order. Well, a protective order is a piece of paper that somebody's going to have to follow the rules. This person obviously did not care about any of that, including their own life. The life of the, you know, the the mother of children, a, a, a child was in her arms. This person clearly did not care. And you wonder, well, what could the police have done? You can't go out and just arrest someone because you believe that they might be uh, dangerous in the future. So what kind of resources beyond what they were already doing could have been done uh, to avoid this? I think that's a good point. I'm not sure that there is. So this all happened, you know, smack in the middle of the day. It was 1.30 in the afternoon on September 22nd. And as we said, there was a history of domestic violence here, which sadly we see over and over again. It's the same, same thing, and it troubles me to no end. Sheriff's deputies say that Greg Hightower stormed into the couple's home, which is about 20 miles northeast of Houston, and shot Takara. And again, he did this in front of the agents. He gets into a shootout with the agents at his own home. One of the agents is shot and injured. Greg takes off. Three hours later, Harris County Sheriff's deputies find Greg Hightower parked outside his mother's house. Now, she's already called 911. She did the right thing to call 911. According to authorities, then there's another shootout. And police shoot and kill Greg Hightower in this gun battle. So I guess you could say, well, you know, justice was done at the scene, right? If, if that's what you believe. Um, but at the end of the day, you have six children without parents and a, a horrific situation. Oh, it's just awful. Um, a little bit of background on the family and some of the incidents that led up to this, as if we could possibly give any clarity or context to this. So Takara Glenn, now as I was, um, you know, she was very uh, active on TikTok because she had teenagers and, um, you know, tweens. And some of her friends and family, as I was going through everything yesterday, said, we don't want you to use the last name Hightower um, because he killed her. She's to be referred to as Takara Glenn by her maiden name. So I respect that and I understand that. And I understand that. So they had six children in ages ranging from one year to 16. Uh, According to a close friend of Takara, her eldest son is 16. Then a daughter was 12. They loved basketball. Takara would travel to, you know, all the games with the kids. Then the, the middle daughters were five and three. They loved to do the dancing videos on TikTok. And you can see some of them. They're still up. She loved to make him with them. And then her youngest son, this is the family nickname for him, was Fat Daddy, the, the, the baby, the, the 12-month-old. <sighs> so Greg Hightower had spent 19 years in the U.S. Navy working as a senior chief recruiter in Houston. So he had a long history, long career, you know, someone who, you know, has a rank in a sense of, you know, he's been there for 19 years. About a month prior to the murders, Greg, this is, it's just a little aside, but just to give you an idea of how people are perceived from the outside. Yeah. Greg purchased the Char Inn Motel in his hometown of Peoria, Illinois, and reportedly had plans to revive it. 
and that he had done this interview with the Journal Star that he had intentions of moving back to Peoria and to continue his commitment of, quote, giving back to the local community. Why don't you just give a little kindness to your wife instead, Greg? You know? Seriously. Yeah, they, that's such a good point you bring up. He, he's, he's working for the Navy. It's a good job. I imagine they, you know, have background checks and keep an eye on people and make sure that they're not unstable if they're employed by the the U.S. government. And then, you know, it appears as though he's involved in at least, uh, you know, appearances wise trying to give back to the community. I guess what I'm the point is, the point you were making is this isn't like what you would consider a, a high potential for violence type of person. They're not it doesn't appear as there, there was any drug addiction or he's living like a high risk lifestyle or he's unemployed or he's involved with gangs. Law abiding person and just absolutely snaps for whatever reason. Oh, I think they're the most dangerous. It's the <sighs> ones who you either don't know or don't suspect, the ones who can always control it in public and then behind closed doors become like animals. They are so dangerous because of their ability to control and fool people. They frighten no. me to no end. They're no. horrible. According to authorities, police were called at least twice to the home because of complaints of domestic violence. Earlier this summer in July, Takara called police saying that her husband was hitting her. So then what does Greg do? He tells police, no, she was hitting me. So the deputies respond and here's what they decide. No charges were filed against either of them. Yeah. Is that how it's supposed to be? No. And that's really unfortunate. I mean, they're, you know, they arrive on scene. They're supposed to investigate. If anybody's got injuries, they're supposed to make an arrest. It's not just a matter of, you know, a he said, she said, and they throw up their hands and say, I don't, I don't know what to do here. Um, but again, that, you know, these assuming these deputies are doing the best job that they can, what are you supposed to do in a situation where both people are claiming that the other one was the aggressor? Maybe neither one of them have injuries. There's no other uh, perhaps recipient witnesses to what was going on. The officers, you know, what are they supposed to do? There's no probable cause for arrest really on anyone at that point. But it it's unfortunate because this is how it begins, right? It starts out with these phone calls where she was brave enough to call authorities and have them respond, knowing that that probably raised his temp, his uh, his his anger and his temper uh, and the possibility of future violence. And yet nothing was done. And the lesson learned by him is I can get away with this. Oh, it reminds me of Gabby Petito. It reminds yeah. me of that situation when she... Um, and her boyfriend are pulled over in Moab, Utah, and and it turns out that authorities believe she was the aggressor on the on that day that they were seen by the um, Good Samaritans that called nine one one, you know, and so they get separated, and because she's perceived as the aggressor, um, it, you know, I, I don't want to go into the whole Gabby case all over again, but I think. That case made us all think about what is the right thing to do in a situation like this? You know, at least the police had separated them, made sure that they each went to separate places that night. Um, Gosh. No, and you've got to imagine the police, uh, you know, want to avoid something. They've probably those officers probably feel horrible that this all ended up in the situation that it did. I'm, You know, they're everyone's working on the same team to try to avoid these types of tragedies. But. You know, at the same time, what do they they can't just be arresting people because of no reason. And, you know, they've got to do but something. There was otherwise, reason like, here. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. I believe in my heart that there was reason. Yeah. Well, and especially, too, it's more than one phone call. Right. Yeah. More than one report of abuse. Yeah, exactly. So then two days before Takara was killed, she asked the Harris County Sheriff's Office how to file a restraining order. Okay. Two days before. And we always know that abusers, as we see through the patterns, they become the absolute most dangerous, the most volatile when they fear that the person is leaving them or that they're being exposed. Those are the two things. It's the most dangerous time with these abusers. So then Takara decided, I'm going to go to the naval authorities. And honestly, I believe that this was probably her best move because the fact that the investigators came to her house, took a report, were in the process of doing all of this, at least shows that they were serious about it, right? 
at least um, they were in the they were taking the complaint and think about it. This would be the absolute most damaging to the husband because these are going to be the investigators from the Navy, his boss, his bosses. So this for him, I guess, was really risky. I mean, he felt the threat. Yeah, he felt the walls closing in on him. Um, You're right. And it's now a threat to his job, maybe aside from some sort of criminal liability he might be exposed to. And you think about the bravery on her part. This is now what the the, the third time that we know of that she's tried to do something about this. And it's so far, she's not getting the resources and protection she needs. And so she escalates it up even to the Navy. Incredibly brave on her part in an effort to protect herself and her family. And it's just unfortunate that it, it, it ended like this. To be killed right in front of the investigative agents taking her report with her baby in her hands. And... And there was a toddler at home, too. Horrible, horrible, horrible. So um, when asked for a comment, you know, the U.S. Navy hasn't said much, but ABC 13 reported the following statement from the the Navy. Uh, Quote, we are aware of the shooting incident in Harris County, Texas, involving one of our personnel, and we are fully cooperating with NCIS and law enforcement as they continue their investigation. Our hearts go out to the family of the victim, the injured NCIS agent, and to those affected by the tragedy. For more information, please contact. And then they send them back to the sheriff's department, which is doing the investigation here. Uh, I mean, it's just, no investigation will ever do justice unless, unless you can provide some level of transparency and accountability to what went wrong where and to not let this happen again. Yeah. And 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 again, maybe it's just one of those things that how do you prevent such a a person who does not care about repercussions and consequences? So they have a lot of kids, six of them, and they are now in the care of her mother and her sisters, according to a GoFundMe created by Takara's friend. And, you know, the descriptions that have been written about her by her by people closest to her, call her a fearless lioness, a protective mama bear who lived for each of her children. She was selfless, caring, a relentless woman, and she shined bright in her children's eyes. Horrible. So sad. So sad. Whole family ruined. Forever. Yeah. Our next case is also out of Texas, and and this is where at least a little bit of justice has been served this week with the conviction of what truly is a sick and deranged woman who killed a pregnant woman, cut out and stole that woman's unborn baby girl, and then tried to pass it off as her own. This story makes me sick. We covered this just as the trial was beginning, and so many of you weighed in and left comments, not only about how disturbed you found this, but also you had a lot of questions. And because the the trial was just starting, and we knew that prosecutors were holding on to a lot of evidence, we didn't know a lot of, well, we knew a lot of details, except now we know a lot more. Um, So... I want to revisit this case. One, I want to let you know she's been convicted. So, and this is a capital murder case. So she, in the next phase, is going to face the possibility of the death penalty. But the question over and over again that you all have asked, and I'm asking, and I swear to you, I still can't answer it, but I got a little bit more context is how could the boyfriend not know? How could others not know? But as we reported last time on the podcast, there were people who knew. There were people who were suspicious. She would post photos um, of a sonogram, and then she'd refer to a clinic, and then the clinic would call her and say, you better take that down because you're not pregnant because we know uh, because you you had a hysterectomy. You can't have any more children. So people were calling her out on it, but nonetheless, she still got away with it for all these months. It's lunacy. It is. Oh. <sighs> I'm like out of breath just thinking about this. It upsets me so much, you know, and it's not just there are two victims here. It is the mother and the little baby girl, Braxlin, who didn't survive. It's horrible. 
So there were three weeks of graphic and emotional testimony in a Bowie County courthouse. The jury this week found 29-year-old Taylor Parker guilty of capital murder for killing 21-year-old Reagan Hancock and the abduction of her unborn baby, Braxlin. The jury of 12 equally split men and women. Took a little less than an hour. I'm, it probably just took that long because they had to walk yeah. to and from the room. Otherwise, they would have been done in two minutes, is my guess. Yeah, yeah that's that speaks volumes, really. When, it, when a jury comes back, I mean... <laughs> You know, it takes it takes a while for jurors to just introduce themselves it, it, back in a, in a in a deliberation room. So for them to get immediately to the business at hand and within less than an hour decide a case of this magnitude just shows you how convincing that evidence was to them. And there was a ton of evidence that had already been made public. For God's sakes, the woman, the accused killer, was found on the, you know, with the baby in her lap and, and the baby's umbilical cord and placenta attached. And, and this woman, Taylor, she stuffed the placenta and the umbilical cord into her pants, making it look like, you know, she had just given birth. No. The insanity of all this, the insanity no. of it. Oh, my God, she upsets me. All right. And the motivation for this, like, why? Because she wanted, Taylor wanted to hold on to her boyfriend. Yeah. Just in, incredible. Just it's sickening. <sighs> okay. So let's let's do a little revisit of the case, and then we'll get into all the new details because they're pretty extraordinary. Taylor and Reagan were Facebook friends. Taylor even attended Reagan's engagement party and wedding. It almost feels like a setup like Taylor, needed a baby, and she had her sights set on Reagan. Now, Taylor already had two children of her own. She had them before her hysterectomy. They were from previous relationships. And what's interesting is that before there was even a trial, we already knew that she had been stalking maternity stores, maternity clinics, had gone to like a teen pregnancy, you know, support group. She was everywhere stalking anyone who was pregnant because she was looking for a baby. And, and this is where it really gets scary is the idea of how much planning, and like you said, stalking she put into all of this. This wasn't some, you know, she fell into some sort of psych psychotic episode and decided that she needed this baby there may may have been another victim if it wasn't Reagan. It, it, she she was dead set on fulfilling this absolutely insane plan. And the more that we're, we're finding out and the more you're going to tell us about, it's incredibly scary to see the amount of deliberation and planning that she put into all of this. Oh, my God. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? And then, you know, I read all your comments from the last podcast. And a few of you, there was one in particular who said that when she was pregnant, she was so worried about others doing something like this, that she would dress in her husband's clothing as big as possible so as to not wow. attract attention. And then someone else on YouTube, thank you all because you're so wonderful, posted the statistics of how often this happens, that pregnant women are killed by other women who, who are trying to take their baby. Oh and this God. is in addition to all the babies that they're always trying to, you know, you hear about the snatchings from hospitals or babies out of strollers or in the restroom. I mean, it happens. It really does happen. Um, so it's, oh, geez. And you think she's running around getting license plates, looking at pregnant women, trying to figure out who's going to be due on the day that she needs the baby. That's the other thing. In addition to this elaborate a scheme to fool everybody into thinking that she's pregnant. So, I mean, literally, she's already decided, it sounds like she's going to commit this heinous murder. And she has a deadline for it because she needs to have it fulfilled at the time of when her expected fake pregnancy would take place. I mean, it's just diabolical and, and, and psychotic. Oh, the worst, the absolute worst. So on the day of the murder, this would have been October 9th of 2020. Taylor told everyone that she was having labor induced that day. So she needed a baby when she got to Reagan's house. That's when she killed Reagan and she cut the baby out. She grabs Braxlin, umbilical cord placenta still attached, and she makes a run for it. She's speeding. 
and a Texas trooper pulls her over for speeding. And then when he looks at her, she's got a baby. And, and she tells the trooper, oh, I, I, I just I had labor. I pulled over on the side of the road and I had the baby. So now the trooper's like, oh, my God, right? I see a baby. I see a woman. I see an umbilical cord. Rushes her by ambulance and the baby to the hospital. Braxton doesn't survive. And then Taylor's acting really weird, like she won't accept any medical treatment. But she's just given birth on the side of the road and been rushed by ambulance. So people at the hospital are like, what the heck's going on here? Meanwhile, not too far away at, at Reagan's house, this, this bloody crime scene is being discovered by Reagan's own mother, Braxlin's grandmother. <sighs> and, and, and it is not to, to gloss over it and not get too gory about the details, but it is an incredibly brutal murder. I mean, we're not talking about, you know, a, 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 I don't even know, a gunshot, one gunshot wound to the head or, a, a, you know, we're talking about an incredibly intimate way of killing someone. And then again, not to get too graphic, but the idea of what she had to do to get that baby out of her body is just the insanity is overwhelming. The photos, the evidence had to be presented to the jury. Reagan's parents, family had to leave the courtroom. It was just too graphic. It was too much, you know, because the jury had to see everything, the crime scene. Yeah. And and one of the things was that Taylor, when she finally admitted to what she did and she said, oh, well, I left the scalpel there. And the cops are like, but I, we couldn't find the scalpel until they do the autopsy and the scalpel is wedged into Reagan's neck. And so they showed the jury the x-ray of the scalpel yeah. wedged in her neck. I'm, it's just, it was horrific, horrific. Yeah, and there's there's this anger and kind of personalness about it too. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't just simply she wanted the baby, but she just destroyed this poor woman in the way that she killed her. And you're right, the leaving of the scalpel there, it just shows there was some sort of directed hatred, it looks like, towards this woman, perhaps pure jealousy over the fact that she was able to have a child and that, that she was not. And Reagan fought back. That was the other testimony that came out. She fought back so hard. Apparently, the thing starts in the garage, makes its way to the living room, the kitchen, the front door. I mean, there's blood everywhere. This was an all-out brawl because Reagan wouldn't give up. She dislocated a finger. She lost the tip of another finger. Um, most of her defensive wounds were on her hands. And, and that is how hard she fought to get this crazy woman off of her, um, which says a lot. It says who, a lot. Who she thought was a friend, right? <sighs> yeah. who, who I imagine when she first showed up at the house thought she was greeting a friend. And it's and it's the multiple ways that Reagan was killed because she was strangled. She was hit in the head. She was stabbed, you know, a hundred times. They um, testified, uh, the cops testified that they believe that Taylor took a mason jar that was filled with sand, which was from Reagan's own wedding, grabbed the mason jar. When you think about it, taking, you know, a memento from the wedding and smacks her on the back of the head. And that was the blunt force trauma. It's, it's, oh my gosh. I mean, I just... It's unbelievable. Yeah. It's unbelievable. So as we knew, we already knew that Taylor had gone to great lengths to fake everything with fake sonograms, a gender reveal party, right? All of this lunacy, the postings on social media. Okay. So er everyone knew this part about it and the baby bump, right? You you did some, um, a little research on where she got her baby bump from and yeah. all the fake stuff. Yeah. So apparently she was going to this website which is still active called fakeababy.com which just blows my mind that something like this exists um and that's what the entire website is dedicated towards is is fake uh, sonogram photos and fake pregnancy test uh, results and 
a fake uh, belly that you can use. And, uh, you know, the, the site presents it in kind of this whimsical, almost funny way. But w- what other purpose other than something nefarious like this would somebody have for using this type of stuff? Um, and and somebody did to a very tragic end. Yeah. And that's what helped perpetuate her fake pregnancy. These yeah. things which her boyfriend testified to, which were what he thought were supporting documents. He said, I saw medical records. I saw sonograms. You know, she she had a belly. He never felt he never felt the baby kick because every time he put his hands on her, oh, the kicking miraculously had stopped. You know, right, unbelievable. Right. And this is what I, I, I want to get to is his testimony. And for those of you who are listening and not watching, we're going to put up a photo right now. And this photo really says it all. So it's a photo of Taylor looking very pregnant and her boyfriend, Wade Griffin. Now he's standing kind of behind her and then he's kind of wrapped his arms around her and then he has his hands on her belly. This is a picture that is duplicated millions of times around the world, right? We've all got them. All of us who've had babies, we've all got them. Except this one. It was all fake. All fake. Okay, so let's get to Wade's testimony because everyone wants to know, how did this guy not know? Well, not only did he testify, but Wade's mother testified. And of course, who knew? Wade's mother. Wade's mother was suspicious of Taylor the entire time. She tried to tell her son. He testified, she testified. I tried to tell my son she was no good, that it was a lie, that she was not pregnant, and he would not listen. In fact, Wade got so mad at his mother, he wouldn't talk to her for four months. So the mother is like, okay, you know, I got to figure out how to help my son. But he wouldn't listen. Moral of this story, listen to your mother. (laughs) Right? Yeah. Okay, so here's more of what was revealed in his testimony. And all this is according to the incredible detailed reporting of KTAL TV. Amazing. So Taylor and Wade met at the rodeo. And then in August of 2019, she told him that she was pregnant quickly after hooking up. So, but this is the amazing thing. This was the second time she convinced him. This was the second time. The second time. So here are the details of the first fake pregnancy. Okay. She's, she tells him that she's pregnant, but then she tells him, oh, I lost the baby because um, farm equipment malfunctioned and hit me in the belly and I miscarried. This is our first story. I think what happened was Taylor didn't have all her ducks lined up, right? And she, right, the, the whole thing, the baby bump, all this, she, she needed she hadn't received the package from fakeababy.com yet. So That's she had to stall. Yeah, exactly. I think it wasn't all set up and she just needed a little time. And so she tried this again. So now the second time her belly's growing, she's got all the fake bumps. And Wade testifies that he actually went with her to the doctor's office. But he was always forced to wait in the waiting room. He was never allowed to go in because Taylor would say, oh, COVID, oh, this, oh, that. So the guy goes to the doctor's office. He believes there's a real doctor, but he's never let in. So then finally he says, okay, I can't keep taking time off from work to go to the doctor's office, not be allowed in. And then she would present him with medical records, sonograms, right? Whatever supporting documentation that the guy needed. So that kind of makes sense, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. You hate to lay this all at this poor guy's feet, right? I mean, he didn't do anything wrong here. I, I, I don't, I don't know his level of sophistication. I don't know what experience he has with, with you know, partners being pregnant before. But you know, it seems as though her scheme was so elaborate that you can kind of understand. Plus, the alternative for this man is the idea that someone is lying to him on a on a daily basis about a pregnancy. So it's. That's insane, right? That that alternative is very insane. And maybe he's just trying to say, well, listen, this is all a little bizarre, but I'm doing my best to just kind of work with it. And she's presenting me with photographs and documents. Who am I to question how things should go? I, I feel bad for this guy. There's a part of me that does feel bad. He's not the one who did this to Reagan, but he does. Right. He even said that he feels badly. He feels like in somehow, in some way he contributed to this. 
you know, to not having stopped her or done anything. But at the end of the day, Wade's mother knew and she tried to warn him and so did others. Okay, so yes, I'm going to get into the tangled web and how she managed to continually keep him confused and it'll show some lack of sophistication. But again, you know, it doesn't take a genius to figure right. out this woman was nuts. Right. Um, okay. He also testified that every morning he woke up, she would already be in the bathroom and he could hear her throwing up because of her morning sickness. <laughs> so elaborate. She thinks of every detail. It's incredible. Oh, yeah. She's a good one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. So then here's the other thing that she did. And we kind of um, alluded to this a little bit in the first podcast, but now we have better details that makes more sense. Taylor created an alternate universe. Yes, in the one in which she like pretended she was pregnant, but it went way beyond that. She created a series of fake people with phone numbers. And these people, but it was really Taylor, were communicating with the boyfriend, Wade. So she, she Taylor really does have a mother, but in this fake story of hers in this fake world of hers she convinces wade that she has a crazy mother they're very wealthy they have 20 million dollars and there's uncle this and there's so and so and there's so and so and and wade thought over the course of all these months that he had a relationship with all of these people because they communicated with him via text but isn't it interesting every time wade called them he went to voicemail right my God, the amount, this was a full-time job for her. The yeah. amount of work she put into fooling this poor man and fooling, trying to at least fool everyone else, not mom, but this is just an incredible amount of work. It's a, it was a day-to-day thing that she worked on. I can't, I can't imagine what else she spent her time doing. I'm exhausted just talking about yes. it. So can you imagine trying to keep this straight? But again, Wade's mother saw through this. So one of the stories was that uh, the, the Taylor's fake mother was like horrible and abusive and she had surveillance cameras and she was watching all of them, right? And that's how horrible she was. And when Wade explains to his mother, it's like, Ma, you don't know. She's got surveillance cameras on my cabin. She saw that I was like holding a coffee cup in the backyard. And Wade's mother says to him, Wade, who knows that you had coffee in the backyard? Taylor does. It's Taylor. It's not her mother. It's not surveillance cameras. Again, Wade's mother got this. Yeah, nothing gets by mama. No. Well, also, no. it's less like, really? It's like no. we're, you know, this is a kind of a rural-ish area. And like, really? She's got surveillance everywhere? And this woman's a millionaire? Please, let's get into the finances. Because this was part of the, the web that kept Wade in the relationship. But I think also, it was so distracting because there were a million things going on all at once in addition to the fake pregnancy. So, you know, she convinces him that she's worth millions. She shows him fake bank accounts, documents. The woman's amazing when it comes to faking everything. Okay. So then he thinks they're coming into a bunch of money and he goes out and he buys some things and, you know, basically takes a loan out on them, right? He signs for this stuff. He goes out and he buys a $92,000 pickup truck. He buys 20 head of cattle for $21,000. Then she gives him a cashier's check, which one would think that the cashier's check was real, right? Because we know those are harder to fake. For $63,000 to buy a tractor. He buys the tractor, but then the check bounces because it's fake and they repossess his tractor. So now he's under a great deal of financial stress. He testifies that he is way in debt. I mean, he's into debt way over $100,000 at this point. And so... He has the mounting pressure of the debt. When's the money going to come through? If I leave her now, she's not going to pay. The, do you know what I mean? So yeah. he was definitely, right? You, when you're in that much debt and you're thinking that there's some big payday for you at, at the end of all of this, there might be a lot of stuff you're willing to ignore, right? Maybe maybe a lot of things that you're hearing from mom that you're willing to ignore because you got bills to pay. Yeah, that explains really. a lot. Yeah, And there was a lot of trouble at work, too, because he's missing all this time at work because of Taylor and her fake pregnancy. Oh, my God. But the last one, this is the one that really got me. I couldn't even believe this. I thought to myself, oh, boy. She wrote a check for eight 
million dollars and Wade took it to the bank to cash it. <laughs> and the teller had to explain to Wade, you know, for sums this large, we generally wire the money. <laughs> Please tell me it was a personal check she wrote to him for $8 million. Can you believe this? <laughs> with, with the the butterfly background printing on the check, right? Right out of her checkbook. Incredible. Unbelievable. And Wade goes to the bank believing this. So when you consider that context. Yeah. And you put that up against the fake pregnancy. He certainly believed a lot of fake stuff. He did. He, he did. really, I mean, this testimony is honestly unbelievable. And that's why I thought it was so important you all hear this. Because again, you're all asking how, how, how? Well, here's some of it. Here's some of it. So here's the other thing. The due date's coming, right? I mean, because she can't be pregnant forever. So it was about a week, a week when she's trying to induce labor. And I couldn't even believe this part, but he testified to it. And it was corroborated. Each day that she had fake scheduled the, in, the inducing of labor, something tragic and traumatic happened. One day, Wade's house catches fire. When I read that, I'm like, no, 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 this is not wow. possible. Until they had a forensic expert testify that there was a fire deliberately set under the man's house. Wow. On the day they're going to the hospital, his she house catches fire. Just spiraling out of control. Then the next day, back to the hospital again. This time, a bomb threat is called into the hospital and everyone has to evacuate. And of course, they can't possibly induce labor. Can you believe this? And these things really did happen. The police corroborated that there was a bomb threat at the hospital. And, and is all of this just because she's trying to buy time to, yes. to figure out when to get Reagan alone? Yes. Oh, my God. Yes. How just insane. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I'm not even done yet. <laughs> I've d that's, I mean, oh, I wish they had televised this. I honestly wish they had televised this court case because this is so extraordinary. You just can't make this crazy stuff up. No, and that's what Wade no. said. He said, how could I believe anybody would make this up? I mean, it's so crazy. Well, they did. There's, there's some sense to that, right? Right, there it is, is some so sense. crazy, that, yeah. Because there really was a fire at his house and there really was a bomb threat at right. the hospital. Okay, so let's get to the day of the murder, which is the day that she's supposed to go. Um, and induce labor. They get up early and uh, she's supposed to go with him. She's got a plan. She needs to get Wade out of the way. So she sends him to Oklahoma. She says, oh, you know, I've done this deal and I'm buying you some hogs. Just go to this farm, you know, pick up the hogs. This idiot drives to Oklahoma, knocks on the farmer's door and says, I'm here to pick up my hogs. And the guy's like, who the hell are you? What are you talking about? So he's all confused. Wade is like, I'm here for my hogs. Well, of course there are no hogs. Meanwhile, she needed to get Wade out of the way so she could kill Reagan. Incredible. Right? The planning. I'm telling I mean, it, it, the, the, it, it is more and more chilling to me as you're telling this to me with the more and more planning that you realize she put into it. That the, the fixation this person had on doing all of this None of this was spur of the moment. This was nope. planned out for, for months, the scheme, and now just all of the elaborate stuff that goes into the murder itself. And so when Wade finally does get to the hospital because he thinks that Reagan is there, he doesn't, uh, excuse me, Taylor is there. He doesn't know about Reagan. He doesn't know anything. He's right. just going to the hospital because he knows what time she's having labor-induced. He goes to the nurse's station and he asks for Taylor and she just points him in the direction, doesn't say a word. Three cops arrest Wade immediately because by wow. this time, Reagan is dead, Taylor's in custody, Braxlin is dead. I mean, this is what right. Wade walked into, okay? So here's the other thing that was revealed in the testimony. Taylor did a run-through the day before based on her GPS. They were able to track her location and what she did. So, and, and even at the exact same time, almost. So she did a complete run through the day before she went to Reagan's house to kill her. Isn't that something? 
at this point, none, none of this is is what I would call shocking, but it still is just again, it's I go back to how disturbing it was, the amount of planning that this person put into this. Mm -hmm. And there were burner phones. So Wade and Taylor had burner phones. She explained and Wade explained that the reason he had these burner phones is because Taylor's crazy mother was doing all this surveillance on them and they needed safe phones to communicate because the baby was coming. Every mm. angle was covered. Oh my God. Okay. So Taylor never testified in her own defense. What would she have said? Although, and who wants to hear from her? I'm sorry, but nobody yeah. wants to hear from this lunatic. But what they did do is the prosecution played videotapes of her interrogations. During these interrogations, when she's first confronted, she's screaming, no, that baby's mine. Okay, crazy. Then her story starts changing. Then she says, it was an accident. Reagan accidentally was dying, had injured herself. And she says to the police, Reagan said to her, please save my baby, cut it out and save it. Making herself a hero is, oh, is the way she's course. trying to portray herself. Yeah. Unbelievable. Well, this is just a sick charade and I don't want to talk about this woman anymore. <laughs> I mean, I think we've been able to, to paint a picture for you of who she is. Obviously, Wade has lost his job. Um, his entire family has been impacted by the shame of this. Reputations are ruined. He feels horrible, he says. He feels guilty for having bought any of it and whatever possible contributions that had to this horrible day in which Reagan was killed. Well, Taylor Parker was found guilty of capital murder for the death of Reagan, Simmons, Hancock, and Reagan's unborn child, Braxlin. Taylor reportedly showed no emotion in the courtroom when her sentence was read. For the first time, the actress had no reaction. Really? Hard to believe. I mean, now that the guilty phase is over, we go into sentencing. This is expected to take some time, and it could take as long as three weeks. Why would sentencing take this long? What? I mean, if the jury could figure this out in an hour, what's going right. to take three weeks? Where? What are the mitigating factors? None. Right, right. right. Yeah, the, what, what they're going to do is put on the penalty phase. Uh, this is like what we're seeing out of Parkland, right, with the, the shooter uh, uh, down there with Cruz putting on this elaborate penalty phase. We'll, we'll have a miniature version of that here in Texas. Um, and, you know, historically, it's, it's difficult um, for prosecutors to get a return of a death penalty verdict when you're dealing with a female defendant. But in this type of a case, with everything that you've described and the elaborate amount of planning and the disregard for everyone's life involved, and on top of all of that, the taking of this innocent infant's life um, with the motivation being complete selfishness, they're going to have a very strong and compelling argument for these jurors. I will not be surprised if this woman is sitting on death row. And yeah. I cannot say that I will feel sorry for her. I'm right. sorry. I'm sorry. You know, some cases, especially capital cases, it's based on eyewitness testimony, right? The evidence yeah. here is so overwhelming. There is no way that anybody got this one wrong. Right. There's right. no way. She is guilty as charged. Guilty, yeah. guilty, guilty. Done with her. We want to let everyone know that a case that we covered here on the podcast is going to be featured on ABC's 2020 this Friday, and I will be providing some commentary and context to the murder. This is the case where a three-year-old girl witnessed her mother's murder, and she was able to tell police, even at three, who killed mommy. I mean, this is a little girl who had her mother's blood on her feet. Horrific, horrific, horrific case. Her mother, Lintel Washington, was pregnant when she disappeared in 2016. The little girl said that it was Mr. Robbie who did it. And it, Mr. Robbie was the married assistant principal at the school that Lintel worked at as a teacher. She was a distinguished educator, teacher of the year. The two of them were having a relationship. Lintel 
believed that he was available had separated from his wife and that and they were even looking for places to live together because she was pregnant and the baby was coming but what she didn't know was it was all a lie and he was still with his wife and didn't plan to leave his wife and when lintel figured it out when he was on a cruise with his wife while she's back home pregnant looking for apartments for all of them lintel is like i'm gonna tell the wife and that is what police say was the motivation for the murder, that his secret was about to get out. So he lures Lintel, the pregnant mom, out. She brings her daughter with her. She's a single parent. So the three-year-old is in the car. She's a witness to everything. And then you know what he does? He's so horrible. Not only does he kill Lintel Washington, the mother, leaves her out on a farm in a ditch. He takes Lintel's car, drops it off in a parking lot, and he leaves the little girl Ugh. in the car alone. And it isn't until the next morning that she's found running around barefoot and a good Samaritan stops her and can't believe what he's seeing. And that's how they find out, one, something's happened to the mother, she's pregnant and missing, and then they finally find her dead. So here is a clip from the upcoming episode. Security video captures a little girl running around by herself, clutching a pillow. This is a little child. I have a child. How old are you, sweetheart? She's three years old. She's in the parking lot standing here by herself with a pillow. No one's around. She had blood on her. The hair is just sticking up on my arms. It's giving me chills. Oh my God, there's blood on the front seat of the car. Everybody was concerned for this teacher of the year that just vanished. She was dedicated and hard working. We didn't call ourselves friends, we called ourselves sisters. Did you get the impression that she was looking for love? Sure. Lintel did not have any love with me. A relationship develops. The thing is, it's a secret relationship. The, the child that she's currently pregnant with is his child. She said, if you don't tell your wife, I will. You want to get rid of a body, this is a good place to go. The pieces of the puzzle start to become very clear. You got the call, and where had they found a body? What actually happened was extraordinary, shocking to the senses. Solving the crime comes down to a child. She, um... She had a good mama. She had a great mother. Everything he's doing in the dark is now coming to light. The all-new 2020 event. Wasn't you here when mommy got hurt? Friday at 9, 8 central on ABC. All sorts of new information on this episode. I mean, you've got the videos with the little girl, the 911 call. You have some of the interrogation tapes. It's a lot of new stuff that 2020 has uncovered on this case. So that airs Friday night at 9 p.m. on ABC, or you can stream it on Hulu the next day. It's time for our comment section. These are the crime cases you all are talking about on our social media. And our producer, Will Updike, is here now. Hi, Will. Hey, how's it going, Anna? Great to see you, Josh. Good to see you, Will. Will, before you get started, I just, there better not be a dead raccoon because people were so mad last week about that dead raccoon. They're still talking about it on on um, YouTube and everywhere else. So I'm just warning yeah, you. Yeah, no, no, no dead raccoon. That was unfortunate. Uh, but so this week we have a case of a Hurricane Ian cleanup kind of going horribly awry. We have a mayor now uh, charged with battery. So what happened here? This report comes from WFLA, but a Florida, a Florida mayor of a small town called Indy Atlantic was reportedly arrested and accused of battering another person with a rake while they were participating in a park cleanup for Hurricane Ian. Now, the mayor here uh, and suspect, 59-year-old David Berkman, allegedly used a rake to hit a man in the face following a verbal confrontation. Uh, and how this all came about was Berkman was helping to clear debris in Orlando Park, which is in Indy Atlantic there, when the victim began recording Berkman on his cell phone. So the victim told authorities that he started this recording uh, after Berkman made several comments about kicking his ass. 
So soon after the victim here starts this recording, Berkman reportedly grabbed a rake. He hit the, fict- the victim's phone. He hit him in the face. Uh, and we, we still don't know the full story, right? Like We don't know Berkman's side of the story yet. We don't know what led up to this cell phone recording. Uh, however, authorities did remark that the cell phone video that they had did line up with what the victim here uh, said had happened. So we don't know the extent of the injuries uh, that the victim suffered in this case, but the mayor was arrested and does face a misdemeanor battery charge. Who has time and- for this insanity in the middle of a disaster, right? Florida has yes. been flattened and this lunatic with a rake. I mean, uh, what is it with people? I'm sorry. I had to say something. No. I have no patience no, for this today. No, it doesn't make any sense. And and all of our thoughts obviously go to the people there in Florida, everyone affected by Hurricane Ian. It's just terrible. And and to have something that, you know, is positive for the community turn into this was just, you know, just a real bummer. Last call said in what could have gone down as a great PR move for a mayor, it turned into another Florida man story, <laughs> which... So unfortunate there for the people of Florida. Lauren Elizabeth added, Florida man has been upgraded to Florida mayor, which that could, I mean, that's not a headline you see coming. Uh, Florida mayor going in on him. East Van Gotti said, guess he won't be raking in any votes. You know, we love a pun on this show. But uh, other people felt differently about how this could affect, uh, you know, his, his possible future there. As Mayor Knox said, I know who I'm voting for. <laughs> uh and joe added a true representation of his people once again we hate to pick on florida these are just coming from the comments but this a little bit reminds me of uh back in montana there's a governor uh greg jan forte forte who actually body slammed a reporter and and broke his glasses like back in 2017 um so yeah it's it's not the first time i i don't know what is causing this uh, brash of physical altercations between elected officials and their constituents. Uh, but we, we we only hope that this can be the end of it. Um, and once again, our, our thoughts go, our thoughts do go to everyone who suffered from Hurricane Ian. I want to thank everybody who sent those questions in. Uh, you can always send those in over on our YouTube community page. Uh, we're also on Facebook and Instagram. And Anna, we're getting closer and closer to 5 million. I think we're at 4.94. So if you haven't already, please subscribe to this channel on YouTube. Tell your friends, anybody who is a fan of true crime, help us get to that number and we will feature one of you on the show. Oh, I'm looking forward to it. And I don't just want to do it once. I know I'm making policy here. I want to have <laughs> our fans, you know, our listeners on every week. Can we do that? We'll see what we can do. We'll see. I don't know about every week. I don't know about every week. I'll have I'm to, overwhelming I'm have to the staff, the team. I, I don't know if I can. Yeah, I'm going to have to run that one upstairs. I don't know if I have. Uh, I don't know if I have the authority to sign off on that. But uh, it, definitely something to consider. I shall lobby for it. <laughs> I shall <laughs> lobby for it. Oh boy, everyone's like, "What is she saying? The woman's gone mad." It's my own rake, I tell you. It's my microphone. I shall lift it. (laughs) But that's going to do it for this week's comment section. I want to thank everybody again for sending those in. And I will see you all next week. What an episode this has been, Josh. What an episode. And we leave you with Florida Rake Man. Right. Right. Just exhausting. Man rake. (laughs) I know. It is exhausting. Honestly, it really is exhausting. No one has time for this kind of foolishness. Mm Mm-mm. There just isn't time for this in this world. Too many things are going on. Yeah. Police resources are needed elsewhere. Yeah, let's in just the middle all, of a disaster. So I'll just take it down a notch or two. Hi. So, how's your podcast doing? How and when can we see it, hear it? It's doing great. Uh, we, we have new episodes coming out every Tuesday. Um, we're trying to cover all the, the cases that are in the news from kind of a legal perspective. And um, we've been getting some really good feedback. So thank you for asking. Great. And it comes out every Tuesday. Yes. Okay. And we're every Friday. Very cool. Okay. And Josh, where can people find you if they want to follow you on social media? Sure. I'm at uh, Joshua Ritter ESQ on both Instagram and Twitter. And I've got a new website, uh, joshuaritter.com. So check it out. Trying to update it as much as I can. (laughs) Fancy schmancy. You have a website. You're .com now. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Good for you. That's kind of fun. Um, I'm Anna G News. Anna with one N. I have a website too, you know. (laughs) 
Sorry. Um, <laughs> um, you can catch all our episodes wherever you get your podcasts. Of course, subscribe to YouTube um, so I can continue to argue to have fans on all the time <laughs> or more than once. And sign up to get our newsletter at truecrimedaily.com. We have a website as well. <laughs> <laughs> Until Everybody's getting one. Yeah. Everyone should have a website. <laughs> a website for everybody. Um, until next time, I'm your host, Anna Garcia. And as we always say, don't do crime. <laughs>